0: You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Oh, I'm so thrilled. Banana Jane is on the show. Okay. I saw this woman in the interwebs of Instagram. And she had a few guests on. And I was like, ooh, this is interesting. I've never seen her. She's having some really interesting conversations. And... Then I went and stalked her like any good podcaster does. And I was like, we need to know each other. I love you. Who are you? Where have you been all my life? I am so obsessed with Jane and I think you will be too. One of the biggest reasons is she's just funny as shit. But the other thing is she's a marriage and family therapist, but her podcast is called Sex, Psychics, and Psychedelics. She merges all of these different modalities in her own healing in her own space and shares her process with people and is a huge advocate for plant medicine. Oh yes, people from the quote unquote Western world who come in and have their own experience and then realize how important and how beneficial it is when you integrate all these different ways of healing and uh, you know, inquisition and the work and all of these things. So we have the dopest conversation. I was just on her show a few weeks ago, so I'll make sure that uh, show is linked in the notes because I would love for you to listen to that too. It's it's so cool. We had two very different conversations, um, but we get into sex and psychedelics and plant medicine's impact on her, how she merges all of this together, what it is when we get stuck in the work and the processing, her experiences with DMT and Iboga, um, really living in the ethereal and how she's kind of integrated everything within her life to get to where she is right now. I love her. I highly recommend listening to her podcast. She is incredibly um, welcoming and grounded and just so wonderful in her approach to this. And I just can't wait for you to get to know Jane further. All right, here she is. Okay, so I am so curious because I've never been able to talk to someone who you know works as a therapist and also uses psychedelics and talks about them and has this amazing podcast where you're constantly educating and sharing these epic stories. Um So how is it that you have merged these modalities of what feels like traditional talk therapy, and I'm sure you have your own way of going about it, as well as using psychedelics and holistic healing and just uncovering all these, you know, different aspects of ourselves. Gosh, yeah. Um,
1: this is an ongoing situation. I I would not say I have successfully merged the two. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not legal to be a practitioner of, you know, like a host of psychedelic experiences. So I'm trying to, as a as a psychotherapist right. or anyone else for that matter, at the moment, um So I'm trying to kind of host psychedelic experiences without necessarily administering psychedelics. Um, so this, this all sort of came about, um, you know, life has its own, own plans, doesn't it? It was never, never my plan to become a sort of psychedelic person. Um, I was, I was a psychologist. I mean, started out in Hollywood that led me to psychology and, um, I was a practicing marriage and family therapist. I was um I still am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um I found it fascinating and still find it a fascinating profession. Um but while I was practicing in a sort of more traditional way, I was having my own adventures in uh psychedelics and plant medicine. And they were opening my eyes so much to what was going on in myself the work that I still had to do, um, what I was doing in my work as a therapist. And it was helping me in my work as a therapist. Like the first time, after the first time I took ayahuasca, I found myself back in my, my therapist chair and the clients that I was seeing, my regular clients suddenly felt like they were that much closer to me. It felt like the room had shrunk and they had gotten bigger. And I had gotten bigger and the space between us had gotten smaller because my sense of connection had been fired. It had been turned right up. And in some ways, the job had been demystified. You know, I was trained. I went to Oxford. I was trained in a, in an academic way. I'm a very heady person. And ayahuasca was sort of switching me more onto my heart and my heart connection And I started to see my job as a therapist in a bit of a different way. Instead of this sort of decoding and deciphering that we're we're trained to do, I started thinking about myself in a more local way. Like, oh, I'm just the woman in the village who the person comes to, to have a, you know, to unload and open their heart. And I'm here to give some comfort and some consolation. And, you know, it it suddenly all became so much more sort of heartfelt and, and simple. So I was noticing that the work I was doing in my, "Quote unquote," private life was spilling over into my practice, and I was learning more and more about psychology and more and more about connection, um, through the psychedelics and the plant medicine deep dives, which were very challenging, more challenging than any kind of academic training had been to me, because I was really, you know, really uh, given a mirror to myself and where I needed to grow. So it was a humbling process too. So I think that that sort of the One way of talking about it is that this this ride in psychedelics and plant medicine was opening me up to greater connection and to what people really need, which is a greater sense of connection.
0: Yeah, it feels like, I mean, I've been in therapy for much of my life and, um, you know, traditional talking about the things, blah, blah, blah. And then when I started to do ayahuasca and mushrooms and then work in somatic therapy, things really started to shift for me because I realized that even in all my time in therapy, I wasn't in my body. Mm -hmm. I wasn't present. I wasn't feeling things. I was still so heady. And to your point, when you start, especially with ayahuasca, bringing you into your heart and really coming from a place of heart centered, I'm connected to myself, my intuition, it really shifts things. So what were you seeing in like these everyday conversations that started to change because you had a different access point than before?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that I was letting go of these layers of pretending that I hadn't even realized were there. You know, there's this whole setup in a way with therapy of pretending that, you know, because you have the license and you're, you're in the listener position that you like, you actually know what's going on in life, you know? And I think that's, that is a myth that extends beyond the therapist to all what I call the men in the white coats, mm-hmm. you know, all the people who put on their licenses and their professions and this, you know, it's great because yes, we want to give credit, credit to, to specialization and to training, but truthfully we're all in this human experience for the first time and it's vulnerable for all of us. So basically as I was waking up to this and it's an ongoing wake up, right. That there's no, there there. So I don't know. I can't give you the answer. I don't have the answer. And you don't have the answer. and None of us have the answer. What we can grow is a sense of relatedness and compassion and humor and imagination and love and, and belief in our, our, what turns us on, you know, our own juice. And so I found myself more and more interested in that one, um, doing what is not encouraged in my profession at all. And I think it takes a certain amount of confidence to start to do this in a way that's conscious. But I started to self-disclose wouldn't go into long stories with my clients about, you know, oh God, well, you know, my ex-husband, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like that, but it was more like a sense of, yes, I understand. You know, I I'm with you on that feeling of, of being, of being lost or, you know, coming up against this particular challenge or this particular edge. And COVID also increased that, you know, it, it seemed more and more absurd, this idea that one of us has the answer and the other person doesn't when realistically, you know, everything that we know has been sort of turned on its, on its head. So one thing was, you know, me being more vulnerable. The other thing was, um, and is my own sense of what my sort of specialization is, which is helping people tap into their essence and believe in it and carry it forwards. So there's, I think, you know, people come to me with a bit of a, like, you know, there's this, it's kind of like, it's the child, you know, it's the imagination, it's the dreams that haven't been fully realized and they come and they, they, in some way they want permission. So, and I love that, not because I'm the one who should be giving out permission, but I love to help them give themselves permission. And, you know, I think that's a lot of what my journey is, has been on a personal level is giving myself permission to not have to be the expert, the man in the white coat, you know, Someone who's arrived in life, but like a fool in process who is loving every fucking minute of it, if possible, very hard to do. Um, But, you know, to start modeling this more, you know, this freedom of like, wow, you know, just really opening up the human experience because truthfully it's massive. And I think that's one of the things that's painful for us. Um, Something I've been journeying on personally recently is this inner landscape, if we allow it to be, is massive. Now that can be lonely, scary, overwhelming, but it also can be tremendously exciting because we've all been kind of gifted with our own playground. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to encourage in other people is a sense of sort of freedom and um, creativity in terms of how they work with their own playground, Mm -hmm. their own inner space.
0: I love that. And I'm curious, you brought up, you know, the last year and a half that has been very tumultuous in a lot of ways for people. And it's interesting. I was having this conversation with my girlfriend this weekend, because I think for those of us who have had, you know, many of our dark nights of the soul or the the rock bottoms, and we have had awakening after awakening with plant medicine or not, we have really gotten to a point where we have different perspective. We have a different lens and a different access point than I think a lot of people have. It feels like this is their ayahuasca ceremony. This is their awakening or their rock bottom. What have you seen in in your environment, maybe with your clients or just people around you that haven't done maybe the work that you and I have done, and they're now having their experience in this? Mm.
1: Gosh, it's it's kind of hard to separate because I feel like we're all going through it you yeah. know, in different ways. It's like, well, you know, there's an earthquake and people respond to it a little bit differently, yeah. but it's still an earthquake. Yeah. You know, you know, I've seen a lot of positive things. I think, you know, I think the, again, the vulnerability of what we've been going through, I, I don't think that's a, it's not a bad thing in terms of how people understand life. I feel like I what I've noticed in myself and other people is that there's been a kind of heightened valuing of the moments that we do have to get together and share love and those precious moments. Like for me, you know, I hadn't seen my family for a year and a half and, and, um, in England and getting to go back and, and hug them, you know, something I'd taken for granted for so many years that I could just get on a plane and go see my family. And, and, you know, so I think that there's, there's that, I think there's a blooming of, of connection that always happens around intense adversity and tragedy. And just imagine, you know, remembering, um, September 11th as well. And you know, what happened around the edges of that, it's always my sort of my hope. And what I'm looking for is to see that increase in, in human, um, connection and this sort of, um, the, we turn up the dial, we turn up the heat on, for a minute this understanding that we're not going to be here on this planet forever um whether we die today a week from now 10 years from now you know 100 years from now we're all going to die and I think that's a very um it's not really (laughs) a reality that's very sort of woven into our consciousness for some reason I don't know why but it's sort of still it's sort of still like this taboo thing really you know it's a terrible death oh god um so you know i think that that yeah i think there's this what i'm noticing is there's an increased sense of fragility in the air there's more vulnerability there's more tenderness but yeah i think people are feeling brittle um and i think that we need to take extra time for self-care And going with our own flow, I laugh with a friend of mine about it, about the importance sometimes of, of staring at the ceiling, you know, um, that I think we, it's time to shake up and shake off our old models of what productivity looks like. I think this is a, this is a massive sort of escape mechanism that we now need to question. What are we, what are we producing? And why? Why do we need to get all this work done? (laughs) You know, I do think there's work to be done, but I don't think it looks the way that it used to look. And I also think that, and this is, this is a combination of uh, what's been happening with COVID, what's happening in greater consciousness. And I think the the massive acceleration um, that technology is bringing is that we cannot look to anything that has already been established if we want to move forwards. It's like, you know, I think Traditionally, we look to history to see what went wrong so that we can move forward and make it right. And I think now we're in such a rapidly changing landscape and information is doubling, 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 doubling every day um, that the way that we need to respond to that is different. It's sort of like we've got to find a different way to move forward. I don't know what it looks like. But that's something that's been coming to me is that we can't now look to the past. We need to reimagine and reinvent because we're wasting time if we're looking backwards because everything's moving so quickly forwards, if that makes any sense.
0: A hundred percent. No, I think you said it so beautifully. And I. it's interesting that, you know, bringing up the death piece, it's so tied into this fear and scarcity there's not enough. I'm not going to live long enough. How do I, this, how do, you know, and it brings up so many uncomfortable questions. And so then we are just paralyzed in our own fear of dying. And you're right. It's not woven in, in a healthy way into how we look at life or how we experience life. It's just like, we're all doomed to this horrible death. And, and I'm I'm curious what your relationship with death has looked like over time and how that Mm -hmm. has evolved.
1: Mm, Oh, I love that question. (laughs) Well, I used to be so scared of dying, particularly as a kid um, around 10 years old. It was like an obsession. Mm. What, how does it, how does it work? It's going to be like this. How can it be the end? But everything I know is my consciousness and my awareness. I just couldn't square it. It didn't make sense. And I was very upset about it, like every night, super upset. And then I had this dream um, that I was dead. And I really felt that I was dead in the dream and I was sort of looking down on the the part of me that was, you know, 10 and worried about dying. And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. It's like, it's not what you think. It's fine. It's just, it's okay. Like the thing that you're worried about doesn't actually exist. And for some reason, the dream was extremely comforting. Um, I even felt like I actually had died, but again, that's all just a hall of mirrors, whatever, for whatever reason that was comforting, I wouldn't say it took it away completely. Um, but it changed things. Then I had a, a mentor that died, um, who was a very special woman in my life. She was actually a a psychedelics pioneer. She worked with Leary and these guys super overqualified woman had had a very, very hard life. She was found on the doorstep as a you know baby in a basket adopted by a family she didn't relate to. So she'd been on a very kind of wild ride. And she and I struck up this kind of unlikely friendship. She hardly had any friends. Um, she was sort of too big for her body. You know, she was yeah. kind of an interesting one. Um, and long story short, I was at her um, her bedside when she died and there was no one there. She was very much alone and it was a very painful death. And I sort of didn't, it was very like a medicine journey. I sort of didn't have any choice, but to go in there, although I wanted to run away. I was like, I was saying to the nurses, what's happening. This is terrible. They're like, she's dying. This is what happens when you die. And I look, I think there are lots of different kinds of deaths, but this death that I witnessed was not a, not a easy death. Um, and I got to see all of the clinging through her, that very, very primitive wiring around clinging to life. It's kind of like, it's, it's the horror of letting go. It's that painting monk's scream, right? It's just like, "Ah! Ah!" and I think that is, that's been a very important thing for me to look at. There's nothing wrong with us that we, that we have that. But we have that. We are wired to want to live. So this is another important thing to look at. No, we don't want to die, you know, unless something's gone horribly wrong and we're suicidal. We don't want to die. And that's normal. (laughs) That's natural. But it's also very, very animal wiring, just like we shit, you know, it's the same kind of level of animal wiring. So we don't want to die, but maybe it's good for us that we do. And, you know, it's the same on, I mean, for my friend, for example, that was a, that was a rough, rough process. That was a rough transition. And I feel like I've met her on the other side and she's, she's finally out of the pain of being in a body, you know, she can just be, be in her expansiveness. And I think that isn't, we don't expand without death. And when I say that, I mean that like, from the most micro level to the most macro level so ego death right that's that's something we talk about in plant medicine because we go through these big ego deaths where we see this side of ourselves we you know we didn't want to see we see our vulnerability or our weakness or our clinging or you know any of these kind of big big ticket items but it also happens on a minute to minute level in life You know, when someone doesn't respond to us the way that we want them to, (laughs) you don't get to make out with the person that you want to, you don't get the job, you don't get the praise, you don't get, you know, life doesn't fucking cooperate sometimes. Like, Hey, guess what? Pretty much all the time. So we're always getting these, like these blows to our ego. Now we could just say that sucks. That sucks. Life is hard. Life is hard. Or we could go, Oh. This is interesting because every time this happens, I have this opportunity to expand. There's this line every defeat for the ego is a victory for the soul. So I think if you're interested in expansion, discomfort is part of it. But the other side of it is you're not going to avoid discomfort by staying small either, by staying in your box. So discomfort's part of the deal. It's like, but do we just, do we allow it to have meaning or do we just treat it as our enemy?
0: Okay. Quick pause with this conversation with the Epic Jane to tell you about the brands that I'm fucking with. Okay. So let's just have a real, a real, real conversation as if I never, as if that's not what I do all the time, but this is for real, for real. Okay. Bars. Let's talk about bars, nutrition bars. I have a bone to pick. Most of them are fucking gross. And not only do they taste bad but they have crap ingredients. And I am so tired of walking through even Whole Foods because, you know, they sold out to the devil. Um, Finding bars that have canola oil in them and just sugar and trash. And I'm like, you sell this as a health food bar. And yet when I turn it over, because I know how to read a goddamn label, thank you. And I am sure most of you do too. So you are sharing in my anger. You look at this and you're like, oh, hi, uh, fake fake, fake Uh, crap. Oh, sugar. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like you name it. It's in there. And most of it you can't even pronounce because it's crap and it is a chemical and we don't need that in our body. So as I have been implementing Paleo Valley into my life, I have been taking their supplements for so long now. And Connor is a huge fan of just everything that they offer. He's using their protein. He's got um, the beef sticks, especially out when he's camping or not camping. Oh my God. He'd be so mad if I said that hunting. He's hunting. He camps while he hunts. He's not just camping. Wow. That was rude of me. Um, (laughs) Getting divorced before I get married. So there's that. Uh, I am loving everything, but Something I was really excited about was the fact that I love Paleo Valley bars. And you know what is so amazing about them? They're made with grass-fed bone broth protein. Yeah, but it doesn't taste like bone broth. My favorite one is the lemon meringue, and I actually put it in the fridge. I like it a little hard. Um, Of course, I like it a little hard. I like it a little hard, and I like the coldness of it. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, Um, but I'm a huge fan of lemon meringue. And here's the thing. There is just nothing bad inside of these bars, and I think that that is so important. When you're going to reach for something, especially on the go, You want to put good things inside of your body. So I'm so stoked that this is made with 100% grass-fed bone broth protein, and you have 10 different superfoods inside of there. So you know that you're hitting every single thing you need um, to make your body healthy. There's no gluten, grain, soy, no added sugars. The flavors are so good um, and I highly recommend and you're going to get so much of what you need in one of these bars. And I know many of you are moms or soon to be moms, and this is a great thing to grab on the go. Or for those of us who forget to eat during the day because we're just such busy boss bitches, this is a great go-to. So all of that being said, if you want to try out. These bars or anything else from Paleo Valley, I am telling you, we are stocked up and I am just in love with everything they create. You can go to paleovalley.com. That is P A L E O V A L L E Y.com. Enter the code Kelly T and you'll get 15% off. And let me know how you like everything. If you're trying something new, I would love feedback and any, you know, exciting recipes you're making, whatever it looks like. I can't wait to hear. Okay, so. My tried and true friends, you know, why not? You know, what's so funny is I've been talking a lot about Organifi on Instagram lately. I mean, I always do. But for some reason, I apparently have brought it up enough because y'all are so annoyed. You're like, oh, fine. I'm going to buy it. I've heard about this every day for a year, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, because I know what's up. I just do. I'm really awesome at finding dope brands that you're going to love because So many people send me stuff and I'm like, this is gross. This has like crap ingredients. You're literally lying about what's in here. Um, And so, hi, I'm not going to share that with my audience. But Organifi, I have loved for so long. We have a deep, intimate relationship with each other. I allow Organifi inside of me on multiple times a day. I know. How do I I always get there? I kind of amaze myself sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Organifi is very deep inside of me, and I right now am just going to tell you that chocolate gold and pumpkin spice gold mixed together is a game changer, and I love it, and sometimes I even throw a king coffee in there. If you don't know what king coffee is, you can talk to me about that separately, but mixing all of this together is basically the best concoction of all time. Um, So I highly, highly recommend you trying out chocolate gold and pumpkin spice gold. If you are a basic bitch like me, you will love it and you'll be so excited. Um, So you can go to Organifi.com slash Kelly T and you'll get 20% off. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Kelly T. Get 20% off. And don't forget, you need to hydrate, okay? It's getting cold, which is why I drink more hot drinks. But then I don't drink as much regular water. And here we are once again, Kelly talking about how she's perpetually dehydrated. So you know what is really great is that Element makes a chocolate salt. And what do we do with the chocolate salt? We put it in hot water. Yes. Okay. One of my friends, Jalen, who works for Element, she's the best. She's been on this show. She texted me this little hack one night and I thought this is brilliant because I just I'm not as big of a fan of the chocolate cold. But when you do the chocolate hot, okay, like game fucking on. So I mix the chocolate element with hot water and I put like two drops of stevia. It's plenty. And then you have a salty hot chocolate. It's Connor's favorite. He's a huge fan. Um, And again, this just helps me drink more water, whether it's hot or cold, and I'm getting my electrolytes in and my body feels so much better. So if you want to be cool like me and drink a salty hot chocolate, first of all, you better send me proof. I like all the pictures and all the tags and all the DMs, um, and I like to know what you're creating and maybe you come up with something different and fucking share the wealth here. I gave you guys all my secret ingredients and recipes, not that there are that many... (laughs) But I give them to you and I expect it in return. You can go to drinkelement.com slash Kelly T. That's drinkelementcom slash Kelly T and you'll get an eight-pack sampler of Element for the price of shipping just five dollars if you're in the US. Whew. Okay, let's get back to Jane. You know, something that I dealt with a lot last year that was new for me was grief and loss. I lost my mom, our dog passed away. Um, and it was it was really painful and it was On the floor, crying, throwing up, just in shambles in ways I've just never been before. And I was so scared. And when I finally came out of that, what I noticed is that because I went to those depths and I allowed myself to really feel all the things, my capacity for joy and happiness increased tenfold. And I thought, wow, like even the color of the trees was a brighter green than I had ever seen. The way I experienced life was so different. And I've talked about this a bit on the show is it feels like your container just starts to expand. I don't think that we can feel those levels of joy and happiness and fulfillment without going to those depths. But or and one of the biggest things is that no one wants to fucking feel like that. Like, I don't want to be on the floor in shambles wanting to throw up. Right. So then we we keep ourselves from that which then keeps us from this over here. So how do, we, how do we willingly go into those levels of discomfort and know that it's for our highest good? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great question.
1: Um, there's, this, uh, there's this phrase you may have heard of, if you die before you die, you won't have to die when you die. Mm. Um, it sort of gets shuffled around the, the psychedelics conferences. Uh, I don't even know who said it. I can't find anyone online. So thank you. Whoever said that. I love the I love the phrase. Look, I don't know if it's hundred percent true, but I think there's truth in it. Meaning if you set out to sort of practice this in life, if you, if you understand this principle that to live a joyful life, you have to stretch yourself and, uh, embrace the difficult bits or you know at least allow them to have some meaning and not not fight their presence in the picture then I think everything starts to shift like you have this awareness thankfully of this connection between this real suffering that you experienced and the stretching of your container your consciousness and how you came out the other side and you were you were seeing in a in a more heartfelt and expansive way um this shaman alison charles i just interviewed talked about ghost chambers of your heart finding the ghost chambers of your heart and i love that idea um that we, there's more to our heart than we know and maybe we find these ghost chambers through through suffering through feeling for example in grief i mean what an amazing um, piece of sort of what evidence of love grief is you know we would not have that if you didn't like if you didn't love your dog so passionately you didn't love your mom so passionately you wouldn't be like wailing on the floor I mean that's that's real love and it's real heartbreak and I think that it brings us back as well to me that brings me back to sort of the innocence of the human you know as much as we try and harden our hearts like you know, we're fucked that way. It's like the cosmic joke, (laughs) like we love, we fall in love, we attach, we, you know, we want things we want, we want to feel good. And I think this is all really, really beautiful and it's not easy. And I think in terms of pragmatic steps, I think that the, um, you know, obviously meditation is good. And I love all those kind of the loving kindness meditations where you, you know, actively open your heart um to to other people. I think that's a that's a beautiful one. Um and then, you know, I think these I I never say everyone should take psychedelics, but for people who are interested, I do think, you know, they are ways to practice ego death and heart expansion. And I think that in general, that's helpful for the rest of life.
0: Yes, I agree. Also not everyone should do psychedelics. (laughs) I'm with you on that one. <laughs> um, uh. I think you and I both agree on this is this journey is never ending and the process continues and the layers continue to lift and we just do this whole unfolding and unlearning over and over again mm-hmm. and and God, is it just so fun all the time Yeah, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think something I have struggled with for sure is getting stuck in the process or in the work. I gotta work on this thing and I'm you know I'm very... Observant, I am very self aware. And so I'll see something and I'll be triggered. And I'm like, okay, dive right in and let's work on this thing. And what I have found is that in doing that and being kind of stuck in this processing is that I miss out on the fun of life. It's like you said, we're in this human experience. And I really believe we're meant to have joy and pleasure and just play. Like we're in human meat suits for a reason. Like let's rock and roll. But I lose sight of that. So What has your experience been in balancing, I'm in the process, I'm doing the work, I am a therapist, I also do psychedelics, I want to have fun, how does that all lay out for you?
1: Darling, it's impossible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank God someone said it. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I could be like, well, here's the magic formula, sweetheart.
1: <laughs> oh, I feel so fucked all the time. And, um, you know, I just feel like I fail miserably all the time and try not to take that bit too seriously as well. Um, but, you know, it it takes some help. I think, you know, I think having friends who can help lighten you up, you know, that's brilliant. And having things that help lighten you up. Like I do an improv class because it's just so fucking silly. And you know, it puts me in a different pool of people, like you know, people I would never otherwise meet. And it's all about being silly. So I like that. Um and I find pop music really helpful. Uh, I listen to that with my daughters. That helps us all. We just blast music in the car. Um, uh, whenever I can dance and get into my body, that helps me. Um And what else? I don't know. I think, you know, being in nature just, just calms me down. Like that's, I need that, that sort of levels me out. If I could do more of that, I think every day I would be just a sort of more balanced person. Um, But as for finding this perfect way of doing it, oh, I don't have it. I have one good, um, I have one good reframe, which I think is good for the, particularly for the female mind that gets kind of a bit like all over everything like wanting to help everything and everyone and la la la. And I mean that's definitely me you know just get my teeth into it and I know you and I have some of the same patterns so um I like this reframe from worry to care so you know it's very easy to find everything to be a project including self-improvement but you know and you could see that there'd be some worry in that like am I on it am I doing it right should I be being coached more or less or should I be meditating more or less or you know how many years have I got to you know figure this whole thing out um so that would be the kind of the worry voice and then the care voice would be more heartfelt and tender and a bit more like self-encouraging you know be a bit more like look at you, you know, caring so much and trying so hard and, and look, look at your beautiful heart, wanting everything to grow and prosper, (laughs) including yourself. And like, you know what I mean? And and like, sort of more like the mother to the child within. And I think that brings me to something that I think is important um, that I try and um, stay alive to, which is what it's self-talk and what tone of voice do you use when you talk to yourself I noticed over time that mine was rather harsh bit of a taskmaster and even you know could be like you should be having more fun <laughs> you shouldn't be spending so many- blah, 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 blah. and um yeah and I think just learning to be softer in your self-talk learning to be kinder in your self-talk learning to be more humorous like even like tease yourself a bit, like, oh, is it that serious? Really? Oh, you're taking this very seriously. Okay. <laughs> <fine."> <laughs> you know, teasing yourself because we get locked. It's not easy being a human.
0: What are some of the signs you know, like, okay, I need to pull back a little bit on this?
1: <sighs> well, if I'm fighting too much with my kids, <laughs> you know, that's kids are a real mirror. I mean, that's that's something. Um and I have a friend who is very helpful on this. She, like the other day, she said to me, you need to fire yourself. If you're not having fun with your work, you need to fire yourself.
0: Ooh, that's like, good. I like,
1: but I can't do that.
0: <laughs> you're like, I'm
1: holding this shit together. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm holding up the world here. It's very important. Um, so, yeah, I think firing yourself, you know, I don't know. This is definitely a learning curve for me. It's like how to fire myself. Um, but yeah, I think if you notice yourself feeling like, yeah, everything you're doing is so important, um, and nothing, and that feeling of the schedule being locked, I don't know if you ever have this, but I have this feeling of like the schedule being the master be like, well, I can't do anything this week because it's all full and it's locked. And it's like, it's this locked in thing. And it's really not a locked in thing. It's your schedule, Mm -hmm. but that's something I need to sort of re-remember. Like if you're sick, you just take everything off the schedule. But I think we don't do that really with our mental health and even like people who are helping other people don't do that either. You know, I know a bunch of healers and therapists who've been going through all sorts of shit, but still like showing up for other people. And in some ways that's great because service is very good and very helpful and it sort of keeps us alive. But on the other hand, we need to be taking care of ourselves like first and foremost.
0: Yeah. How do you take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself? That's been a huge lesson for me. And I think too, you know, the achiever and perfectionist and controlling person inside of me who says, you can't cancel anything. You have to show up. Doesn't matter how you feel. That's how I lived most of my life. And now, you know, I don't like cancel willy nilly, but if I'm not going to be present or if something's going on. I I cancel because I have to take care of myself. I'm not going to show up as the version of me that is, you know, my highest self or my most present self. I'm going to be all over the place and not feel right. And I think that we have to let go of this guilt of, oh, well, so-and-so is going to think of something of me. Like Jane's going to be so mad at me and think so poorly of me and think I'm unprofessional if I cancel today because X, Y, Z. And it's like, yeah. why am I projecting that onto you about the thoughts you're yeah. going to have about me? Maybe you think, oh, shit, great. I actually really didn't want to record today because I want to go yeah. do something with my kids. yeah I, just, I I think we get to let go of that monkey on our backs.
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm Yeah, I like that. Thought and and I was wondering actually, do you have any thoughts about the the lightening up part of it? Because I'd like some tips on that.
0: I mean, I'm about to marry someone on purpose because he keeps me light. Like, I like that. uh, It's so funny. I was talking to a friend this weekend, she's like, You know, I just got to be honest, I really just did not expect you to be with Connor. And I'm like, Me neither. (laughs) He's just so different than me. He keeps it light. He's always the one He, he learned this in ayahuasca. He heard during his ceremony. Um, you're not meant to take this so seriously. Part of your role here is to teach people how to take themselves less seriously mm-hmm. and to have more fun. And so I chose that man and it is very uncomfortable very often for me. But I told him the other day, I said, I just love how much fun and play you infuse into our little family. It, I, I find so much more joy and I learned so much from him in him being like that. It's completely changed my life because that just wasn't an option for me. I didn't What's know the uncomfortable bit. Is it the teasing? Um, I, I just my whole life I have been very much. I need to be perfect. I need to be put yeah. together. I need to be serious and focused and driven. And that's just how I always operated. And people who were, you know, playing or not focused or didn't schedule super strictly. I just thought, wow, you don't care, you know, and I just looked mm-hmm. down on them. And now I'm with someone like that because I wanted more of that in my life. And yeah. yet it, it challenges me at my deepest core and my wounds. And it makes me look at myself and say, why do you feel a need to be like this? Who are you trying to impress? Why does this need to be perfect? What, mm-hmm. what does it mean about you if you play or you dance or you sing or you just take the afternoon off because you feel like it? Right. Those were all failure points for me before. And now I measure my joy and my success by how much fun and freedom I'm having. But he taught me that. So, mm. so uncomfortable. It's Thank you. <laughs> Work in progress. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so we have talked quite a bit about ayahuasca and mushrooms on this show. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But I have never done iboga or DMT. And I am so curious what your experiences have been like, because I think you brought up Ubogo when I was on your show a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just love to hear about what that experience has been like oh, for you, gosh. what how it's opened you differently than the others. I feel we're back to death again. I, yeah. today up today, <laughs> <laughs> should have cancelled. Fuck
1: yeah, it's coming out now. Um, all right, so yeah. Um, death experiences for sure. Both of those for me and, um, an amazing, amazing, um, experiences. So iboga. Oh gosh. I mean, what do you want to know about it? Cause I don't, I could just ramble on.
0: Well, I guess I don't know. Um, you know, ayahuasca and mushrooms both feel like very introspective heart opening Mm -hmm. experiences for Mm me, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what iboga and DMT elicit. Okay. Okay, so so iboga, you know, it's this it's this uh, West
1: African shrub, you know, like a bush. That's what it comes from, and it's a very like roots medicine. So, you know, where you might feel that the Amazon in ayahuasca, you feel like the fucking you feel Africa and like Mother Africa, and in, in iboga, so there's a immense feeling of authority in the medicine, mm-hmm. as there is with ayahuasca, but different. Like ayahuasca is more sort of like Deverish energy and iboga is like sit the fuck down <laughs> and you are gonna like we are gonna show you this way that way or another way what you need to to see um it some people describe it as sort of being this medicine that sees the like the files of your experiences and picks out the trauma files it's almost like the you know the trauma files have been flagged with a little red sticker so the things where something, you know, something very disruptive happened. It could be on an emotional level. It could have been a, a physical injury. And it will pull out that file, that memory, and it will show you. So you've you've drunk the medicine, you're feeling sick, like with ayahuasca, it's slightly less nauseating, but it's it's a very, you know, heavy, transformative feeling. You take this medicine and then you start seeing things. Um, for me, it's always come up as like pieces of cinema, like little clips that are my life. And it will show you. The movie, but you'll get to see it from another angle because in the movie of your experience, you can only see it through your eyes at the time, you know, you're age six, you're age 11, whatever it is. So you get to see the movie and you get to kind of travel around the movie. Oh, that's because of that. That's because of that. And you start to understand it. You start to piece it together. So in that respect, it's like the most genius. Psychoanalysis you could ever have it's like you know this is what like if Freud could have experienced this, he would have just i don't know exploded or something I mean it's genius, it's like this is the the most masterful therapist of all you you get the files taken out, you get to review them, you get to throw up, cry, whatever it is that you didn't do at the time, shake you know it's trauma release and you know, go back into life with new understanding. Now people say about Iboga integration takes two years. I mean, this is a really, really, really strong experience. Um, for me, it helped me connect some dots, um, that I couldn't connect other ways. I tried, you know, I'd had a sort of a memory and I didn't know if it was a sexual abuse memory, but it had those kind of vibes. And I was really trying to get to the bottom of it and, and remember and find out what happened. So Because I thought it was coloring my relationships with men, and I didn't, I didn't understand it. So that was one of my big motivations to go going in and seeing. And it was shown to me in such a way that I did understand it, and I understood why I hadn't seen it as a thing that had happened, but it was also a thing that had happened. So I got my own kind of, I understood this thing that I'd been circling around, circling around, circling around. So I could put it to rest. And it did, I think I mentioned this to you, I was sort of sexually recalibrated afterwards, meaning uh, I remember there'd been this guy who was just so turned on by in this kind of cat and mouse way. Like he would tease me. He would get so close to kind of like make out with me, had that kind of toxic quality to it that I was, you know, thrilled by, but wasn't really getting me anywhere. And I remember hanging out with this guy after I'd done a boga and we're like on the beach and I'm waiting for my body to start tweaking and doing its normal thing and the whole exciting fantasy to start and it didn't happen. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was And like, it didn't happen. And for a minute I was disappointed. And then I remember driving away after that and uh, feeling this great sense of freedom and liberation and like, oh, that's just, that pattern has just been undone. And so it's been really interesting moving forwards. You know that since then, the guys that I've been attracted to and the women I've been attracted to, it's been kind of different. I mean, definitely different. So that's really interesting. So that's uh, that's a, a peek into a burger. Is there anything else on that you want to know?
0: No, I love it. I, you know, you bring up freedom, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about because I think our definition of freedom and success mm-hmm. and fulfillment changes so much and you talk about these experiences that start showing you your life and helping you put pieces together, which gives you a deeper understanding of self and why we make the decisions we do. What, what aspects of freedom changed for you or became illuminated for you that you better understood yourself and then was able to create more of that?
1: Mm. I think that the, what the plant medicine experiences have shown me is how Codependent, I've always been. It was very embarrassing in my aboga experience because we would take medicine and then we would talk about it in the group what we saw. So the night was like broke. There were two nights. Each night was broken up into four rounds, and there'd be this sharing time. There were like six people, and all of my stories were like my mom, blah 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 blah, my dad, blah 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 blah, my mom, blah 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 blah. <laughs> I was like, why am I always talking about my mom and my dad? And and you know, I grew up a sensitive child with parents who were quite young in certain ways, young souls. And I think I was always trying to help them and, um, fix things and make things right. And, you know, I had what's called like the drama of the gifted child, you know, I was always trying to be this sort of this helper person. And, and, you know, even though I wouldn't say I was necessarily trying to help him so much, but even with my, like my ex-husband, I was always thinking about him and the, How did I make, you know, how could I change him and how can I change everyone else? And how can I help my clients and how can I? So over time, like, wow, I guess I don't find it so easy being alone, huh? Mm.
0: Um,
1: And oh, love always loving sex and stories and seduction and having some always. I was always the one with a story about a guy or a girl or like, la, 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 la. And oh, I just love it. It's super fun. And I like sex and it's also fun and sexy and da, 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 da. and it is, but I started to see the side of it that was, um, what can I say? A little pathological in the sense that, uh, I don't want to demonize it, but, but yeah, just kind of a little addicted to these stories about other people and me and other people and these scenarios and and so, yeah, over time, I've been learning to chill on that and really feel into Jane and being Jane and hey, it's OK, it's not too bad. Oh, actually, kind of like it, you know, um, and so I think there's been this sort of that's real freedom, the freedom of being OK on your own. Now, I don't think that's the same as I don't need anybody else. And I don't like I think that we're wired to want harmonious, beautiful connection that flourishes and blooms and improves our lives. But but to really be able to be in your own skin, really being able to be in your own body, really value and love the gift it is to just be you on this planet. You know, I think that's been A great freedom that I've only really recently, you know, I think it's like every year I get a bit more of it. And I feel like this last year or so, I've gotten more and more of it. And I feel like, like how you were describing joy, I think I wouldn't have been able to feel I've got a really big sense of joy right now. And it's not really because of anything, it's not because something happened in my life that I can brag to you about. It didn't. Mm -hmm. It didn't. I don't have a boyfriend. Like I don't, like I don't have some career sticker that i can tell you about um and not always but a lot of the time i feel like the luckiest woman alive meaning not luckier than somebody else or better than somebody else but like how fucking amazing how fucking amazing to just be here now under a tree or having a bath or on a podcast with you and like what the fuck this is really cool you know we have bodies we have minds we have hearts and it's it's really, um, it's an amazing, mysterious thing to be a human. So I think to be able to just enjoy that without having to figure out what it means, but just be like, wow, that is, that's privilege and that's freedom.
0: Mm. Mm. You said it so good. Oh, I love it so (laughs) much. You're amazing. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for oh, just being for so honest and raw. I love talking to you. Um, if, I love talking to you. Thank you. We just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Let's go forever. <laughs> let's just plan this once a week. <laughs> we'll just go back and forth. Um, If anyone hasn't listened to me on your show, that was such a dope conversation. Um, And I love your podcast, Sex Psychics and Psychedelics. Like, I mean, are you kidding me? What a great show title. I saw that. I'm like, I fucking love this woman. I don't know anything about her. I was like, done. (laughs) Um, So thank you for being here. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me. Lots of love.